so much choir appreciate you for doing that for us today we got rain this week isn't that a good thing amen well I want you to turn on the back of your bulletins if you will and as you're turning there I want you to give a I want you to uh, understand that today's message is entitled overcoming spiritual immaturity now I recognize that doesn't have to deal with anybody in here but it's a lesson we can always learn together and I tried to say this from the uh, aspect of being humble. I'm not trying to, to, to talk down to everybody. This is a lesson we all get to learn together, okay? Uh, before we read the text, though, I want to give you some illustrations from a website, Southern Baptist website, that I saw this week, uh, and it talks about arguments in churches. Anybody ever seen an argument at a church before? Well, all across the Southern Baptist Convention, churches have problems. There are arguments that take place, and here is a probably one of the top 10 lists, if you will. I had to delete a bunch of them, but here's what caused Southern Baptist churches in the past few years to have problems. First, there was an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. Secondly, they had a fight over which picture of Jesus would be put in the front foyer. Thirdly, a dispute over whether the worship leader should wear shoes in church or not. Now, these are true stories. Now, it really happened in churches. Uh, a big church argument happened in a church where the church budget was off 10 cents. It was only settled when somebody decided to give a dime. That would have never happened under Evelyn McCord's leadership. Would it? It wouldn't have happened. A dispute in the... I like this one. I don't like this one. A church had a problem at the Lord's Supper because instead of using grape juice, they used cran grape juice. Uh, they had a big problem in the business meeting as to whether or not it, they could purchase a weed eater. It was settled after two business conferences. In another church, there was a fight over the type of coffee, Folgers or Starbucks. Let's take a vote. They actually had people leave the church over that one. Uh, another fight happened when the youth borrowed a crockpot that had not been used for many years, but that was not allowed. This one's terrible. An argument on whether or not the church should allow deviled eggs in their lunches. It was okay to use angel food cake, but not deviled eggs. <laughs> Lastly, I know these are terrible. Some church members left the church because one of the church members had hid a vacuum cleaner from another, resulting in a church fight. You have some illustrations on spiritually immature people in churches. Again, let's read the text together. It's on the back of your bulletin. An argument started 
among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. Master said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and we try to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. The question we want to answer today is how does God enable us to overcome spiritual immaturity? And the first thing I want you to see is point number one, the introduction of the immature. The introduction of the immature. Again, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. The first thing we see that spiritually immature people do is start arguments. The word there is argument to, to cause a fight in the ranks. Now, there are some scholars who say this argument started because contextually, uh, three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and they saw Jesus transfigured in front of them. And when they came down the mountain, uh, they said to the rest of the disciples, we saw something you didn't see. We're super spiritual, and you're not, because Jesus allowed us to go through this, and you didn't get to go through this. So they, because of an, a spiritual experience, elevated themselves above the rest of the disciples that Jesus had, caused, had called. Uh, we tend to do that whether we know it or not. Some churches will puff themselves up at the expense of another church. Some people say, you know, I got my prayers answered. Why didn't you get your prayers answered? Or worse, none of my kids have backslid. Why have your kids backslid? We just kind of take this condescending mindset and we pour it out on people. James 4.1 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? So we have a set of desires and if somebody doesn't do what we want, we got a problem. There's something on the inside of each, one of each one of us that wants to show people how spiritual we are. And we'll even cause ourselves to be spiritual at the expense of another. If you put it like this, it's almost like we need to tear somebody down to build ourselves up. And that's what these disciples were doing here. But what they're not saying in this text is, if you remember, as they were coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, there was a father and a boy, and the father and the boy... The boy had a demon, was demonized. And the father tried to get the disciples to cast it out, and they couldn't. So what they were doing here is, if they were talking to the other disciples about their great spiritual experience, is they were telling about the good. Oh, we saw Jesus transfigured on the mountain. But they were ignoring their failures. Yeah, we couldn't drive out the demon. They were, and this is a characteristic of spiritually mature folks, were the masters of half-truths. We tell people what we want them to know to make ourselves look good, but if we fail or mess up, we're not going to tell anybody that. For example, I know this has never happened, but uh, your spouse calls you up on the phone and said, what are you doing? And you're eating an ice cream cone. You just snuck by a place and you're eating an ice cream cone. I just left work. I know that's probably never happened to anybody in here. You give a half-truth. You only want to give the good. You never want to give the bad. And we're good at that. Spiritually immature people are good at that. The second thing you see here is that the spiritually immature slander in arguments. Because they, notice what the text says. If you go back and look at it very clearly, it says, as to which of them would be the greatest. Well, in order to be great, you've got to tear somebody down. 
And this is an easy trap for all us to fall into. We end up looking at folks and we say, yeah, they're not carrying their part of the load. They're not doing their responsibility. They're doing this wrong. They're doing this wrong. They're doing this wrong. But me, I'm spiritual. You end up having this superior mindset, which is not spiritual at all, but it's self-justifying. It cleanses our consciences when we elevate ourselves above another. The Bible says that the devil is the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 10, 11, and 12. Revelation 12, 10, and 11. One of the things that characterizes the devil is he accuses Christians. And when you and I accuse another Christian, we are under the influence of the enemy because Jesus never tells us to do that. So if you find yourself ripping somebody else for not doing their part, if you find yourself finding fault with another so that you're off the hook, you are falling under the influence of the enemy. If you find yourself slandering another Christian, guess what? We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all make mistakes. But we tend to justify ourselves at the expense of another. So we slander. What does the Bible teach us? Our standard is Jesus Christ, not another person. And on Judgment Day, we're going to have to kneel before God Almighty and give an account for our lives. Be careful who you slander. I have to give an account for my life. You have to give an account for your life. And we're all going to be naked before the throne saying, God, I'm sorry I messed up. So deal with it now. Jesus says, spiritually immature people slander when they say they're greater than another. John Stott says it like this, Christians who neglect the Bible simply don't mature. You're not going to mature, become spiritually mature without the help of what Scripture teaches and obedience to that. If you ignore the Bible, you're not going to grow spiritually. You'll grow physically. But you're going to be paralyzed spiritually until you make a determination, Jesus is my Lord, I'm going to submit to him. I like the little illustration. You know, we all get in arguments. I, I get it about the, the three boys. They were having an argument. School parking lot, school playground. And the one kid says to the other, you know, my dad, he writes down a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a poem. And man, they give him $50. Well, the second boy, not to be outdone, says, hey, I can do better than that. My dad writes down a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a song. Man, they give him $100. The third boy says, I got you both beat. My dad, he writes down a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon. It takes eight people to collect the money. <laughs> you got to win those arguments, don't you? You got to win the argument. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that's spiritual, that's, that thinks they're spiritually mature? They can't lose. They always got the answer. I have to remind myself as a preacher, I'm not always right. Some of you can give a testimony to that, can't you? We are not as spiritually mature as we think we are. And we definitely aren't if we tear somebody else down. Jesus died for the person we're tearing down. The first characteristic of a spiritually immature person is they just love to argue. And yet, the Bible tells us in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, here's the standard. Do everything, everything without complaining or arguing. Now, that's the goal. I know we all have a sinful nature and we all fall short of the glory of God, but that's the standard. 
Next time you want to slander, next time you want to argue, give it to Jesus. Just tell him, Lord, I don't like this. You know, I do this all the time in my prayer time. Lord, I don't like this situation. I, I failed you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me by the blood of Jesus. Help me to do better. Help me to do the righteous thing. I want to be spiritually mature. Even if I have to take the hit, let me be spiritually mature. Point number two. So how does Jesus drive this home? He gives us an illustration for the mature. How do you go, go from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity? Let's look at an illustration. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, I'm in verse 47 and 48, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is the least among you all, he is the greatest. This, this verse or verses breaks down to three crucial points. The first is our thinking. Look what it says. Jesus knowing their thoughts. Jesus knew what they were thinking when they didn't think Jesus knew what they were thinking. You see, we can hide our thinking from people, but we can't hide our thinking from the Lord. We're to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. May the meditation of our heart uh, and the words of our mouth be pleasing to the Lord. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Do you want to know what that Jesus knows that you're thinking? Uh, what, are, what were you thinking this morning? What were you thinking yesterday? When you're thinking negative thoughts toward a fellow believer in Jesus Christ, that's displeasing to the Lord. We all sin. We're to build folks up, not tear them down. We're not improving our spiritual situation by destroying another Christian. We grow spiritually by the Word of God and obeying it, not by tearing somebody down. Remember, in your thoughts... You can fool people, but you can't fool God. But what Jesus does here is he says this. Look, I'm going to take a little child, and the word here is infant. It's a very small child. And he got this child to stand right beside him. He's saying, if you're spiritually mature, immature, pay attention. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Now, a child in Jewish culture was the bottom of the social ladder. There was nobody lower in the social structure of Israel than a child. He would be called with the least important person in society. Jesus doesn't go to a king. Jesus doesn't go to a, a very wealthy person. He gets a child. And he gets that child to stand right next to him. The word welcome here means to receive or to accept by faith. And what Jesus is doing for all of you that are spiritually mature, pay attention. Spiritually mature people, pay attention. I'm going to get the least person in this society and get them to stand next to me and say these words to you. If you receive this little child, you're receiving me. Matthew's gospel says it like this. If you want to change, become like this child. You will not enter my kingdom unless you become like this child. You're trying to build yourself up at the expense of others. Become like a child. I'm not saying act like a child. We have a lot of people in churches that act like children. That's not the point here. It's saying you need to think you're as important as a child thinks they're important. Because one day you're going to give an account of your life to me. In my kingdom, I'm the king, not you. In my kingdom, this is what I'm looking for. When you become like a child in terms of how you view yourself... You don't think you're important. You think I'm important. And you make yourself like a child. What does a child do? A child's totally dependent upon their parents. 
They have just innate trust for their folks. That's what Jesus wants you and I to do. Every day of our lives, we trust Him. When times are good, we trust Him. When times are bad, we trust Him. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by trust. Whatever's swirling all around you in your circumstances, your heart is solid because you know who's in control. Jesus said, these kids know I'm in control. <laughs> Become like them. I know, I know life throws difficulties at you. Some of those difficulties I've put there so you'll learn how to trust me. If you never have a difficulty, how are you going to learn how to trust me? I love what David Platt says in his commentary on Matthew. To be a citizen of the kingdom, you must become a child of the king. So turn from yourself and trust in the Father. Do you trust Jesus with your difficulties? I'm not talking about the little ones. I'm talking about all of them. Have you ever prayed, Lord, I don't have a clue what's going on, but you're my king and I love you. Daniel was told, if you don't stop praying, you're going to the, den, in the lion's den. And what does he do? He gets on his knees and he prays, thank you, Lord, for the circumstances I'm in. That's conviction. That's trust. That's what God's looking for. Childlike dependence upon the Father. That's how we go from spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity. Are you going to trust Him like a little kid trusts their parents? Look at the last part of that verse. For he who is least, the one that makes himself like a little child, Jesus says, you're the greatest. <laughs> it's upside down thinking from the thinking of this world. This world says, look at me, man. Am I something special? I'm something really, really important. I'm good looking. I work out. I'm an academic genius. I got lots of money. I'm something Warren Wiersbe said in his commentary, every one of us walks around with a little sign around our chest that says, would you please tell me I'm important? So we live our lives so people look at us and say, you're important, man. You're something special. And if we don't measure up, we've got to tear them down. We're going to build ourselves up by tearing somebody down. And Jesus says, no, that's the world's way of thinking. My way of thinking is you make yourself nothing. Isn't that what the Bible says in Philippians 2? When Jesus came down to earth from heaven, he made himself nothing. Spiritually mature people agree with John the Baptist. He must become greater. I must become less. So many of us, we go before the Lord and say, God, my heart's dry. God, I've been praying about this for a long time and you haven't answered my prayer. And God's saying, man, I'm not going to build your kingdom. I'm not trying to make you important. I'm trying to use you so that people will know I'm important. Who's gonna, whose kingdom are you going to build? Yours or mine? I'm not here in heaven and in your heart to promote you. You didn't create the heavens and the earth. You didn't send your son to die for sin. Stop deceiving yourself about what's important. I'm important. I'm going to bring you up here to heaven one day. You'll be with me for all eternity. You'll get it then. But for right now, know your place. Make yourself like a child. This is what this verse says. He who is least among you, he is the greatest. You could say it like this. He who is least among you, whoever makes himself like a child, is the greatest in God's eyes. That's what God's... Are you great in your eyes? Are you great in others' eyes? Or do you want to be great in God's eyes? Because God sees what we do in the dark. 
God sees whether we're obedient or not. God sees what we're thinking. God is looking for those that are committed to him. I read a little illustration about this little girl who was in a house and the house caught on fire. And she, everybody was getting out of the house and she decided she had to run upstairs, go into her bedroom and get her teddy bear. Very important to her. Unbeknownst to her that when she went upstairs, the fire spread to the stairs and she couldn't get back down. So she went over to the window and she called out to her dad, Dad, help me. Dad, rescue me. Smoke was filling everything and she couldn't see very far, but she heard her dad's voice. The dad said, honey, just jump. Jump out of that second floor window. I'm here. Dad, come to me, she said. Just jump, honey. She said, Dad, I can't see you. The dad said, but honey, I can see you. And a lot of times we go through life and we think these circumstances cloud everything and everything is turned upside down and everything's terrible. We can't see God's activity in our lives. God sees you. God sees us even when we don't see him. He's a father that takes care of a child. One of the greatest honors of my life is to be a husband and a father. I hope I'm a good one. You know, there's a lot of things you can have said on your tombstone. I haven't decided what I want said yet. I'm not ready for that to come yet. But I sure hope somewhere along the line my kids will say he was a good dad. Because that's what our Heavenly Father wants us to say about him. He was a good father. He was a trustworthy father. Now, here's the, here's the question. Which of these do you believe more? The unfairness of life or the fairness of God? Which camp do you settle in? Life's not fair. God hasn't come through for me. Or, I don't understand, but God is good, and God will, in his perfect time, do what's best. Our lives are in his hands. Our lives are in his hands. Let's finish this up. Point number three. Instructions for the immature. Instructions for the immature. And I want you to see this. Again, we see another illustration of what spiritually immature people do. Master, they said to Jesus. They used the right words. We saw a man driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Now, do you see what's going on here? What happened when they came down from the Mount of Transfiguration? They saw this great illustration of Jesus being transfigured before them. When they got down, they could not cast out a demon. And Jesus says, oh, you unbelieving and perverse generation, bring the boy to me. And now they're saying to somebody, hey, hey, he's driving out demons. We couldn't. We couldn't do it. Spiritually immature people don't like it when somebody else has a spiritual victory, and they don't. So what do they do? There's that slander again that just comes back in. Here's the principle. Spiritually immature people, watch this now, want to be in control. The Bible teaches that God's in control. But spiritually immature people are not Spiritually immature people are insecure. Spiritually immature people think they become mature when they're in control. Friends, there's only one in control. 
Jehovah's in control. God is in control. If you've not figured this out yet, there are situations in our lives of which we have no control whatsoever. No control whatsoever. But in the majesty and the awesomeness and the power of God, he tells us, even when you lack understanding, I am in control. So these disciples run to Jesus and say, man, he's casting out demons. He's not supposed to do that. He's not one of us. He's not in a little clique. He's not in our group. He's not one of us. So get rid of him. People that want to be in control have no problem whatsoever telling somebody, get on out of here. You don't meet my standard. I think it grieves the heart of God. Now there is a time and a place to say you have sinned. God will tolerate no unrighteousness. He hates sin. But what we have here is these disciples are making up their own rules. You make up your own rules and you expect God to follow them. You expect other people to follow them. Somebody Jesus died for who's casting out demons, who's doing ministry in Jesus' name, the authority of Jesus Christ, he's doing it right. <laughs> he's doing it right. But you can't stand it. I can't stand that they're more successful than me. I can't stand that they're doing what I could not do. So we have to tear them down. Classic case of spiritual immaturity. So Jesus gives them a word of instruction. Notice what our Lord says. I'm going to correct you. Don't stop him. Whoever's not against you is for you. Here's what he's saying. If a person isn't against you in doing God's work, that person's for you. It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him and his work. If you see the work of God being done, don't stop it. How many churches have criticized other churches? How many Christians have criticized other Christians? All they're doing is God's work. But because we're not involved, because we didn't get to do it, we feel like it needs to stop. The Spirit of God is grieved, he's quenched, and God loses. We might win a battle, but God ultimately loses the war. When is the last time we repented on our knees? Say, God, where are you? Holy Spirit, where are you? Or do we sit there and say, I know why there's a problem here. I'm going to find fault here, and I'm going to find fault here. They're not doing it the way I think it should be done. And the heart of God is grieved. That's what spiritually immature people do. I saw this story, and I'll close with this. There was a church in Knoxville called Hope Fellowship. It was started in 2016 as part of a church plant from another church. Because of the demographic changes in the area, it was a church that was designed to hit are to reach multi-ethnic and generational folks. There was another church in the city that was declining, Centerpoint Church. It was dying, like so many of our churches. I think last year at the Southern Baptist Convention, 1,500 churches closed their doors in the Southern Baptist Convention this past year. I think it's 1,000 to 1,500. Just their time is over. Like the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, God says enough. I think about that. A lot of people put a lot of money in that church. A lot of people put a lot of money in that building fund. A lot of people put a lot of time, effort. Gone. 
You got another church that's coming up. They're growing. Center Point Church had to make a decision. They had a 40,000 square foot building and nobody coming. Nobody coming. You got this other church that's growing. And this other church is achieving and reaching people. The estimated value of Center Point Church was $4 million, uh, excuse me, of Hope Fellowship was $4 million. And they had a decision to make. What kind of people are we going to be? Spirits immature or spirits immature? So you know what? It's not about us. It's about his kingdom. We're going to sell this $4 million church to you for how much? $1. $1. Because it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about his kingdom. Dr. Erwin Lutzer said, and I close, spiritual maturity is marked by being comfortable with the unpredictability of God. When you're comfortable with God's unpredictability, you're on your way to spiritual maturity. What do we do? All of us. Humble ourselves before an almighty God. It's not a ritual. It's not rules. It's relationship. God, I don't understand. Forgive my spiritual immaturity. I don't know what's going on externally, but you have my heart. I'm yours. And you do with me what you please, even if it means I go to the lion's den. Our God is faithful. And he is in the process of molding and developing disciples to prune us of ourselves and our rules and to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ.